Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Morning. Morning, everyone. Hi. So this is a small, sort of intimate Q&A session. Um, so who's next? So I, I read a lot um, and I have a lot of sort of friends who, um, you know, who, who know a lot about different things. Um, so I don't know the, the Avios thing. Um, I had a friend that sort of initially told me that this was quite good and gave me the idea. Um, I've always loved flying and right from when I was very small, my dad used to take me all around Indonesia on planes and I'd get in the cockpit when they were flying and all this sort of stuff. Um, he, used to, he had a go in a couple of them as they were flying along with passengers in the back. That's what you, they'd let you do, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, we, uh, you know, I, so I've always had this sort of interest. So um, I spent hours on forums online at night. I, I wasn't sleeping for quite a while, just reading all of the little tips and hacks and ways of basically gaming the British Airways Avios system because there are loads um, and obviously I ended up, you know, as time's gone on, more of these guys have come along who do that as a full-time job and then publish all the ideas. Um, so there's one called, um, um, his name's Robert, um, used, to, used to be known as uh, Raffles. So his website is Head for Points. Um, and he, he comes up with a new thing every, every few days or every day he comes up with sort of one or two ideas. Um, but yeah, sort of prior to that, I, I just read stacks and stacks and stacks and then just start testing. Um, a lot of property stuff, I, I just try it. I see someone else doing it. I watch them for six, 12 months to see if they're still doing it after that period. Um, often I'll go in, you know, try and work out if the investment's good and then probably do one or two of them and then test the results and then get all the management accounts, yeah, to, to, to see the results over, over a period of time. Um, um, but, uh, you know, most of this stuff I get from other people who I help with what I know and they help me with what they know, but it's, I'm very selective about, you know, who I sort of hang around with, who sort of thinks about stuff like that and who's good at it, you know? Um, so that, that's where I get a lot of it from. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Avios, I'm just constantly, constantly doing it. I mean... I, I moved a load of stuff around last night. I just, 50,000 Avios seats came out yesterday. BA just released them all between December and March. Um, and you can imagine that every man and his dog's trying to ring up because you can get basically first class seats, which cost seven grand for about 600 quid. Um, as long as you, you know, so I, I, last night I booked two seats to Barbados outbound for Gemma and I. Um, I booked the outbounds for November, um, and they were. Th I'll book the return in a in a week, so the two will cost twelve hundred quid. Um, I think, and they're both first class, and it would be I don't know thirteen or fourteen grand for you know if you paid for it. Um, yeah, I'm going to put a little one in first class. That'll, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that that's sort of how I've 
develop that and obviously constantly doing it and staying current. Um, projects, um, you know, I was in a four hour pre, uh, sort of pre-contract meeting yesterday for a big project that I'm doing. And the same again will happen this Wednesday. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of trial and error over the last 15 years going from buying little single lets like we were just discussing. Um, and I must have bought that in 2005. And before that, I bought stuff in Florida and Bulgaria and loads of stuff that didn't work. And now I'm doing this flats um, in one building. It's just an evolution, just another 20% every year, trying something new, testing and measuring, getting the results. That worked, that didn't, you know, and then spotting an opportunity. Yeah. I, d I don't anymore. I used to, um, but the deals are all so different. Um, you know, I, I like to give myself the flexibility and the latitude to sort of say now's a good time or now isn't or that's an amazing deal. So, you know, I'll just do it and I'll, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have chosen a deal of this size, um, but it was particularly good and I wanted it and it was in the location that I wanted. So um, I don't so much. I, you know, over a period of time, you, you just get this inner thing, which if I hadn't bought a building for a while or I hadn't done what I need, I just get this, I've got to, I've got to go and, you know, keep building the portfolio, you know? Um, so yeah, Rob and I used to set specific numbers, um, even monthly. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, when we were buying for investors and we were taking an equity slice, we, I think we targeted six to eight a month, something like that. And I built a team to, to, to run that. Uh, and then we had KPIs, the buyer would come in with all these numbers every month and tell him he got to buy more and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. The strategy for what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, get into business, start, you know, start, start sort of sourcing properties, create a business around it. You know, if you can create a training business or some sort of trading business to generate an income stream, um, you know, whether you, I don't know, you, you, you sort of, presenting or maybe you're you know creating information products um or you know whether you're doing sort of online whether it's training or marketing loads of people create marketing businesses around this um some people just go into sort of pure property but they need a very high income strategy maybe you'd be doing sort of high-end hmos or, or service accommodation and um, that's what i would recommend because you've got to get the income rolling haven't you um you can't be focusing on a capital strategy certainly in the earlier years, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I sort of do what we did. You know, we, I, I was buying these single lets when I met Rob and we built a business around it to do it for other people and they paid us to do that. We're not still running that business now. We sort of pivoted into this training business. Um, that got more difficult through the credit crunch, you know, with banks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd if we were starting again and knew what I knew, we'd start a training business, start the money flowing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So those numbers are what's happening next door. So we have a letting agency. So they manage about 850 tenants in there. There's about, I don't know, 11 staff or something. And that those are all the service accommodation units that they manage. Um, you know, it's progressive lets. And obviously there's quite a few external landlords in there as well. Yeah. Um, so for our portfolio, um, I'd say the majority of it now is sort of um, 
high-end HMO rooms that are in sort of commercial, converted commercial buildings that they're split into these cluster flats. Yeah. So I do a lot of those. Um, we have serviced accommodation flats as well in those buildings, Rob and I do. Um, you know, in some other flats that we sort of, mainly town centre flats, which we rent out on that basis. And then obviously the, the other sort of big rent would be single lets. In fact, the majority of what they manage are single lets. Yeah. 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 Nightly, nightly rental. Yeah. But they're, they're obviously not living together. They're, they're going up, you know, a, a sort of a block of flats through a communal corridor. And then they're, they're going to some apartments that are dealt with as a cluster flat or, you know, as a five or six HMO rooms in a, in a cluster flat or a service accommodation unit where they're renting it nightly and it's all furnished and it's got everything, cutlery, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so we run a whole, a whole, yeah, across most strategies, yeah. Occupancy, definitely. Um, location is very important. So if they're sort of city centre, that will be a lot, lot better. I've done stuff on the outskirts, you know, service accommodation, it's not worked so well. So smaller units, city centre, the marketing is very important, how they're priced, if the cleaning's added on separately, that all that is really, really important. Yeah. Whereabouts? Yeah, that sort of place, yeah. Occup if you can keep the occupancy up, then usually it will, you know, cover, cover all the costs and then yeah. create you a nice profit. If the occupancy isn't there, then you know your costs are a lot higher with yeah, sure. with service. So, yeah, you you um, yeah, it does. Yeah, as long as you're getting enough per night, then that really fixes the occupancy issue. Yeah, and and obviously you haven't got to keep with the cleaning and the linen. Yeah, Red Hill though, it'd be pretty busy. You you got a good little airfield there, haven't you? It's good for helicopter for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna try and um, I'll fly in at some point. I've, I've been into Fair Oaks, which is the other side, but um, yeah, just a lot of people would fly in there rather than going into Gatwick, and then they'd land there and then get a taxi to Gatwick Airport. Yeah, God, I'm gonna do that one year. I think I'll just fly in myself. Yeah, no, it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I, I you know, years ago, I'd, I'd have, I worked in Kentucky Fried Chicken on London Road when I was 17. Um, and, you know, I, I'd have worked in, I don't know, the, the food industry and things like that. And it really put me off. Um, I don't know, if you look at sort of clubs and all that sort of stuff, most of them are dying. Um, it's not something I really understand now. And I don't like the, the hours just I just don't want it yeah yeah but uh, there's some people that make it work really well but you've got to pick what you you know you enjoy what you're good at I love investment I love sort of making numbers grow and income streams grow and all that sort of stuff um I don't know if I'd be the most sort of the, the best at that yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah well we used to have a guy here who he'd have he had the nightclub in town, and it was named after him. The nightclub was just his name, and um, <laughs> with an S on the end. Yeah, uh, and he just, and he, that's what he used to do. He'd come and greet everyone as they came in, and he obviously enjoyed it, but yeah, not for me. Yeah, yeah. You're there till four in the morning and all this sort of stuff, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fighting and sick and... <laughs> 
glasses. <laughs> I mean, is the is the I'm sure in some of them make it work, but generally is the money in it? The guy who runs a wine bar. Yeah, he used to be the buyer that I was just talking about. Yeah, so he used to go and buy all the houses. He bought loads of these houses. Um, so I mean, they, you know, that's sort of more of a bar. Yeah, and do you know what that? wine bar they've created something great there and i don't really know how they've done it because i don't understand the business but they have uh, yeah and it was you know i when they opened it i didn't i thought well, well you know this this might be like the last place that was here you know um but they've sorted it and it's great so yeah those sort of independent little quirky you know maybe the craft beery places and there, yeah, there are a yeah. few a couple of Nightclubs, well, they, they, they've got bands playing, do you know what I mean, around yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. They seem to work quite well. Yeah, yeah. But I think you've, you've got to have a passion to do it. And you've got to know, you know, if you don't really want to make it great and you don't really know what you're doing, then it's not going to work. Yeah. But that applies to anything. Yeah. I like, I like going in there. Yeah. And I've seen, seen yeah. a few times. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's a nice place. Yeah. I, think, I think I found with it. Yeah. There was a whiskey bar in Stamford at the top of the hill. No. There's a few of these, yeah. Some of them are making it work. I don't see any of them make loads of money. They sort of seem like lifestyle-y type businesses, which is nice for the people who want that. But, yeah. Um, you know, the, those sort of massive nightclubs, mega club, you know, that was big. You know, there was money in that, wasn't there? And that was, that was great back in the day. No, I just... I, I think it was the licensing that did it. So, at 11 o'clock, when I was drinking lots, you you were you were out of the, the pub or the bar and you had to go to a nightclub. That was it. It was really black and white, but then they started moving it all around and loads of the bars could open later. It just seemed to knacker the nightclubs. Yeah, smoking ban. Yeah. Um... Hmm. What for? I mean, ooh, for doing what with your money? To sort of what defensive or? I mean, Rob and I buy some watches, but you know, I I'd say you, you maybe make similar out of the stock market. You know, if you're trading them like Rob does a lot, I think you'd end up with a lot more. Um, but his level of knowledge is, you know, beyond you know, almost anyone that I know, or, you know, so obviously the dealers we meet, they know, you know, a lot, but Rob knows loads about this and he'll, he'll <coughs> just, he'll be sitting on the toilet looking at a, an article. You've got to have that level of passion and want to learn about the thing. So, you know, the next, you know, he'll just come in and go, oh my God, the, the new Odomar Piguet, pff, I don't know, Biblos is coming out or Terminator or whatever. And you're sort of thinking, all oh, right, well, how's that different? Oh, it's got a different colour strap, you know. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. But the point is, they make 50 of them. Um, and he knows, you know, and there are lots of people that will say, oh, there's 50 or there's, but that's 50 a year. He'll know there's only 50 being made. And he'll, he'll know there's, he'll talk to a load of dealers and then he'll end up getting one. And that will end up going up and up and up over time. Um, 
so many people sort of try and do it and they they buy something a bit like what they should buy. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, like that is a, they, it's an anniversary. It's a Submariner, but it's the anniversary one because it's got the green bezel. That's all it is, just a green bezel. Um, now, when I started learning about this originally, you know, I think, oh, you know, so what? But I think I gave three, three and a half grand for that and it's probably worth nine now. And I've had it five years. So for me, that's just, you know, it's a pretty simple thing. Now, Rob got me on that and he found one, you know, a, a guy that was selling them. He also found me a Patek Philippe, um, which was, it, they didn't, I mean, most, almost all Pateks go up, but um, it, this guy had one, very hard to get hold of. It was a Nautilus, they're almost sort of rectangular, square. And, um, and he said, this, this, will, this will be good. And I think I gave 15 grand for it. Um, and then they started going up around the same time as this. And let's say a couple of years ago, I thought, mm, this, is, this has had a good run. Um, I wasn't overly excited about the way it looked. So I sold it for 19 and a half, um, which, you know, I was quite pleased with. 36 grand today. Um, I looked a couple of days. You know, and you've got to know as much as him to know. So I get to just say to him, look, what do I do? And then he goes, do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lesson there. Yeah. Um, although he was like, no, you're probably good getting rid of that one now. But you never, you can only be, have an idea. You, you can't be exact. But um, that's why I do it, because he tells me what to do. Um, steel Daytonas are always really good, he says. Yeah, but I think he says the ceramic ones are good now, but the, the gold ones are no good at all, because they make too many of them. But they don't make as many steel ones, because they're cheaper. I don't know what a new one is, but let's say it's 12 grand. The gold one might be 20. So Rolex sell a lot more of the steel ones than the gold one but they want to sell a gold one because the margin is so much better. So they make a lot less steel ones to compensate. So the waiting list just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's just gone on for years and years and years. That's one or two little ideas of, he'll have a hundred of those in his head. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, they can be a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, better than gold, I think. Yeah, we bought gold over the years, you know, still do bits, but um, you get somebody who has, you know, more knowledge, a lot, lot more knowledge, then um, they're going to beat everyone else. Yeah. So you've, you, you, you've got to find something you love, you know what I mean? And if that's silver or, you know, or I don't know, whatever it is, even diamonds, and you can, by the way, diamonds haven't, the last seven years, if you have a look at the wrap, wrap, Port, Rappaport, that's the guide, the New York market, they've probably gone nowhere, even though you'll go into the jewelry shop and oh yes, they were diamonds are always going up. Do you know what I mean? Actually, when you look at the, the tables, it's, it's bollocks, but there'll be so many of, you know, there's loads who would just sit in that market all day long and they'll, they'll be able to spot straight away when something's cheap uh, and when it's probably going to go up, you know, whether a round of this size, you know, the there's loads of them, I'll buy it now, and I know in a couple of years, the supply may be a bit tighter and then they'll sell it. So those guys will always make a load of money out of it, you know, even though the market hasn't really gone up. Um, we started with classic cars. We bought a um, 
a Ferrari Testarossa. Um, so it's sitting in Rob's garage at the moment um, for the winter. So they've come down a bit um, and they might be a good thing. It's a right-hand drive one. They only made 500. Um, I've got another mate who says they're, they're plastic classics because he's got all sort of vintage cars. Um, he's got loads. Just He's in Stamford um, or Oakham. Um, I think generally um, that there are people making loads of money out of classic cars, but they're on it all day because they love it and they just... They're just like your geeks, do you know what I mean? Who, you know, you went to the Stamford Car Show and someone had a car there and everyone's eulogising over this thing and there's always some anorak who turns up and he's like, that, 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 that is not the right shade of green for that, that 1968 Porsche like this. And it's also not first paint, it's been, it's been resprayed like this. And, and of course, the, you know, the owner's there and he's, you know, and then there's this sort of debate starts and, and, They'll go around with little paint measuring tools, do you know what I mean? To work out if the thing has been, you know, and how original it is and the chassis number and whether it matches with the engine number, whether the engine's been changed, all this. And if you, if you go into that sort of level of detail and you've, you've been doing it for years and years and years, you'll end up spotting stuff that's cheap. I had Quentin Wilson on my podcast and um, he knows loads about this stuff. And he's just a complete geek. Um, and actually, this was before what happened recently. Did you hear him talk about Khashoggi's Rolls Royce? Well, obviously, uh, I don't know if it was Khashoggi's son or you know one of his descendants has since been murdered, um, or, or just just died randomly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, whichever version you um, you know go for. But um, if you li if you listen to him, he he found that classic Rolls-Royce, um, uh, you know, and there wasn't, the, the, the owner didn't sort of really know what he had. Obviously, Quentin's gone on the internet. He's worked out it was Khashoggi's car. He's managed to get a load of the paperwork. He also knew there were only so many made and they're very rare. Um, and he made loads of money out of it. You know, he's like, I can't remember what it was, but he, he made tens and tens of thousands of pounds from trading it. But the guy's been buying and selling cars for, I don't know, what, 30 years? Um, and he's just got a, you know, a, 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 a really, really deep understanding because that's what, I'm sure he, he says he's got every version of, I can't remember which magazine it was, going back like 25 years or something and they're all in his office and he'll just pull them out and geek over them because <laughs> that's what he wants to do, do you know what I mean? So, um, you You've, you know, if you can become a, a bit of a geek at something, um, it doesn't really matter what type of investment it is, and you end up knowing more than everyone else, you're just going to spot what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Trainers, yeah. Yeah. StockX, what's that? Yeah. Oh, right. What, new, used? Used, are they? Yeah. Are they old, old, really old ones, are they? Oh, right. I'd not even realised that had started. Yeah. You can see it. What stuff, I don't know, Reebok pumps from 30 years ago or something. Or 20 years ago. The ones I wasn't allowed to buy as a kid. Yeah. It's a good idea, isn't it? Get, get some started, doesn't it? Yeah. So, 
Um, not that many people seem to make that much out of restoring old classics. Uh, you see a lot of people buy them and then end up spending a lot more than, yeah, hard work. No, you, I think a lot of the time you, your best thing is to try and find something that you know has got more value in it because you're able to search for paperwork or you're able to, you, you know there's only a few of them. Do you see what I mean? It's been mispriced, stuff like that, or over time, you know, will become rarer. So the stuff that's a bit unloved, that'll become, you know, you think about those Mercs, um, you know, like, so you've got the Bobby Ewing sort of SL, but later ones, you know, in the, the 80s, um, I think they're R129, I think they are. So, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're very solid. They're real sort of classic look, you know, with the rectangle headlights. Um, you know, into the 90s, but may, maybe sort of early 90s. Um, you can get one of those for 10, 15 grand. You think about older SLs. Um, I know the Pagoda's a lot prettier. But, you know, a good one of those is 80, 90 grand now. Um, or, you know, this sort of Bobby Ewing era or you know, uh, maybe slightly earlier than that. They're more like 30 grand, 40 grand for a good one. So you can sort of see the trajectory. Um, and <coughs> as the number of them reduces over time, probably be a good thing. Don't know. Some of this might be low interest rates as well, though, you know. Classic cars that were, or cars that were 30, 40 years old were never classics 15, 20 years ago. You couldn't buy trainers and do all this. And yeah, watches were there, but not to the same extent. How much of this is sort of investment markets created because interest rates are low and money doesn't have a home in the bank anymore. And that will reverse over time, I would have thought. But then there's a whole generation of people that's doing this now that weren't there before. Are they just going to go and sort of lose the love that they've had for all this stuff and put the money in the bank and not enjoy it anymore? Maybe not. Maybe things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, well, people, I don't know, maybe they want to look at their money in a car or a set of trainers or a watch or whatever. Fun, isn't it? If that's what they like geeking out over. Yeah. <laughs> Back to property. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the earlier days when you were sourcing all Best or volume? Best was leaflets. Really? Not very many, but um, yeah, I, I mean, round here, yeah, someone who's just knackered and can't sell, and yeah, I'd just sell the, I'd buy the thing off them and just get it for bugger all, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there was there were a couple where I remember one in particular, it was worth 110. I think I gave there was a mortgage on it for 30. They were repossessing, which is bizarre. But she couldn't afford to pay the, she could, the mortgage was really high, you know, because I don't know if she was out of work or whatever. And it's like when they've got a weird situation, um, so, or a, a situation that doesn't fit into a lender's box yeah. or, and they don't know what to do. So she had a daughter, it was a three-story house, one of these sort of ex-council, she had a daughter on one of the floors, so she needed a house that big, but she could only afford, I think it was £350 a month rent. So I bought the house for 50 grand, so it was worth 110, but then rented her. I couldn't rent it back to her because 
you know, by then it was illegal um, or you had to be regulated like you do now. So I moved her into another three-storey. I refurbed it exactly how she wanted. So all the specification, the kitchen, you know, yeah. exactly what she wants, all the colours, appliances, everything like that. And then I rented that to her for £350 a month where it was really worth 700 Do you see what I mean? And, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then just agreed not to increase the rent more than sort of 5% every couple of years. Do you see what I mean? So that was good. She's still in there, just paying low rent. Yeah. And obviously we, got, we ended up with a house for 50 grand. So that was good. Um, another one. Um, yeah, she was, I don't know what happened with that. She was just quite old. The house was knackered. Um, couldn't mortgage it. Same thing. Moves, bought it cheap. 30, 35% off, something like that. Rick gave her a new one, all refurbished. Really, really nice. And then got the money from the council for her rent. See what I mean? On LHA. So that was quite good. Um, no, no, there weren't with agents. No. Um, agents is where the majority of it's come from. Repos and things like that. And getting a strong relationship with them and then passing, getting them to pass your deals. Yeah. They're, they send them to their mates most of the time. So it takes you a while to sort of get in there. Yeah. But their mates go on holiday or run out of cash. So eventually you're getting in, you know. Some, sometimes you're competing with the owner of these agencies because there's a couple of agents in town. That's, that's where all the deals go. But we'd sort of get a couple of the young lads on the go and sort of nick them before the owner got them. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, you want to get them on board. Yeah. Yeah, we ended up employing three of them who, you know, were agents and then selling stuff to me and then, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, they can do all sorts of stuff to enable you to get houses cheap. Yeah. Yeah, you know when you ring up and there's a repo on and, and you go kind of view it and they go, oh, no, viewings have stopped or, oh, they've taken an offer on it or something like that. The reality is most mortgage lenders or mo the companies that manage these sales for mortgage lenders, most of the time they will tell the agent to keep viewing all the way to exchange. But lots of agents won't because they don't want their sale being screwed up. And a lot of the time they're just holding it for one of the people that they trust is going to complete. Yeah. See what I mean? Or they'll lose the keys or yeah, all that stuff. Agency is so fraught with naughtiness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all that going on all week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so licensing of HMOs is sort of all HMOs are almost a license now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably, that'll probably push rents up and take a lot of HMOs out of the market around here. Um, so the thing, the reality is you want to be doing it to licensing standards anyway, pretty much. So you've got to do all the fire. If you don't and, you know, someone ends up dying, you're probably in prison um, and you don't, want, you don't want people at risk in your houses. So... Whenever you refurb one of these, you're going to be putting fire doors in, you're going to be putting, you know, overdoor closers in and interlinked smoke detectors and all this stuff in a HMO. So the council will come around, they probably won't have much stuff for you to do. They'll always find a couple of bits, but most of the time they won't. So it doesn't make that much difference if you're doing it to that standard anyway. It's just you're having to pay, I don't know, 500 quid every five years or whatever, 600 quid. 
but there'd be loads of those, you know, those real nasty HMOs, and they exist here. They, when they find them, the council, if they're not licensed, they can shut them down a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. As long as you sort of, and you sometimes got to spend a bit of money and stay with the standards. It's just a barrier to entry that goes up. And um, it just push rents around here have gone up 25, 30% in the last two, three years. And that is... Landlord tax, section 24, um, stamp duty, less landlords buying, things like licensing, because they're not just licensing um, HMOs around here, they're doing it with single lets as well. It just goes on the rent, because less, less landlords. Yeah, so I, yeah, just, just get them licensed and you probably end up with more profit anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because they've been doing it years and they get pissed off with, They've been able to do what they want for years, and I'd have been one of those initially, but what do you do? You go to commercial, yes, great, there's a lot less regulation, but then there's longer voids, there's all these other issues that we're talking about, there's empty property rates, there's a whole host of other issues. Um, yeah, they do. It can just sit empty, yeah. Um, businesses don't have to there isn't a shortage necessarily of commercial buildings for of different use classes but with re residential though you know as long as the price it's priced right and the spec is right and it looks right and the location's vaguely okay then it rents i do a bit of both because obviously when i buy retail units i end up with a retail unit a retailer on the ground floor so i'm doing both yeah but yeah predominantly residential and the retail's sort of coming because I'm buying units. And obviously, we own things like this. Um, I sold a big retail unit. Um, so I, I bought a big building and it, and it came with a, su well, a supermarket. They, they sort of went in just after I bought it. Um, huge floor plate, um, 36,000 square foot, which is um, 20 times the size of this ground floor of this building um so you know that in nine years when the lease comes to an end the supermarket doesn't stay you know it's kind of <laughs> and the empty property rates are one hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds a year so i i yeah i sold it no i sold it through an auctioneer but private treaty also sold it to a big london council they bought it yeah, they've got nine. Well, they've got nine-year income stream, haven't they? So it helps balance their books for nine years. And I would have thought the ones that made the decision might not be there in nine years. I don't know. You know what they're like? They borrow the money in at two percent from central government. So, and if they're making a yield of seven or whatever, then they take five and use it to collect the bins. Hmm. <laughs> How to stay focused? So. If new ideas are coming in and, you know, different strategies, I'll sort of look at them with one eye and I'll wait for someone else to run them for a while. Um, I'm not, it takes a lot for me to get off and do something new. I'll, I'll probably just modify my strategy 20% because I find it's a lot more fruitful and saves me a lot of time. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't have, 
I don't have that shiny penny syndrome anymore. I used to years ago. Um, and I, I end up darting about onto all these different strategies because all these different people were telling me different things were good. But I just stuck in the end when I found, because prior to these, I was, I was buying stuff in Florida and Bulgaria and I went to um, Budapest and, you know, looking at stuff in Czech Republic and it just went on and on and on all, all over England in different types of property. And I just ended up losing a load of money and learning the hard way. Um, so I went completely the other way by about 2005. I was like, I'm doing these two things and I'm ignoring everyone else. And that, that, that was sort of, I'm, I'm sort of a bit more flexible now, but um, I don't do more than really, you know, if I'm trying something new, it might be one thing at a time, yeah. Your masterclass will be relevant to serviced accommodation. So, you know, and deal packaging can work with it. So. If you're buying little single lets and you're out viewing or you're out viewing properties, residential properties, you could think to yourself, well, I could single let this because it will work for that. Or I could turn this into an SA or I could, you know, HMO, you see what I mean? So it is all related. Some people then start doing foreign currency trading and trying to buy HMOs in the Caribbean. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and that isn't, um, for me, it's just too, you, you've got a whole load of new rules to learn, you know, and legal systems and all the rest of it. So I think if you're, if you're keeping it relatively close together, you only need to learn another 20% to do the other thing. And then all the other stuff you know is relevant. Yeah. Well, you can, uh, when you're out looking or, or you're viewing or whatever, you, you can't buy every deal. So deal packaging can fit quite well with that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's diversionary. Yeah. Just, just keep growing everything organically. Keep buying buildings, getting more tenants. Um, keep growing this training business. Um, we wouldn't have a specific number on it now. Um, but, you know, with everything in, that's in development once it's finished, um, you know, well, I mean, over there, I don't know, they'll, they'll manage over a thousand tenants. They've got about 850 at the moment. Um, you know, Rob and I had, you know, have sort of 350 that are just ours, tenants. And then we've got quite a few equity shares in other people's properties that we've, portfolios that we've built. Um, so I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, just, just sort of keep growing at that sort of rate. Yeah. I, I like staying around here because my contacts around here and, you know, I, I know the market quite well and can manage the stuff and I've got builders around here and but we have got some of these properties are in Wellingborough and Corby and we do own properties over there. Um, because we were, let's say at one time we were doing six, eight, ten a month and we couldn't get the volume here. So we went there as well. Uh, and the buyer quite liked going over there and meeting all these female contacts. Um, and he was just getting loads out of them, so that worked. Yeah, <laughs> depends on the your opportunity at the time, doesn't it? Yeah, a buyer that we had later didn't have loads of relationships over there, in more ways than one. Um, so <laughs> we bought more around here. Yeah, I'd try and if you're going to be managing property, though, I'd try and keep them within forty minutes an hour, and try and keep them in clusters. Yeah.
can get difficult to manage. If they're scattered all over, it's very difficult. Yeah, you'll waste a lot of time. Time you could be putting into buying more properties or deal packaging or doing what you should be doing. Are they, are you financial consultant, are you, what are you doing, sort of, a bit like, oh, okay, a bit like a financial planner. Okay, fine. So you must have loads of clients who want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, you get into, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Thing is, also, you know, IFAs, financial planners, I, I, I don't necessarily understand the difference. No. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I, do you know what? Most, 95% don't get this. And if it, if you discuss this, or you must know this, if you discuss investing in property, it, it, most of it to them, and they won't necessarily define it, to them it's all about putting your money into a fund that invests in property. And most of them that I speak to don't re can't really see the difference as to why the return... Because they will go, oh, the returns are never as good as equities in big property funds, which they're usually not. But I know some of those funds because I know what they buy and I try and set investments. I've been trying to do, you know, and I can understand why they make 6 or 7% a year. Whereas you do this sort of stuff, cash on cash return will be 15, 20, 25, 30%. Um, and it's, it is very appealing to that cohort or would be if, if they got it and the customers. Yeah. We've got we've got a guy who ran his own practice, Steve Pratt. I don't know if you've seen him in communities. He's you know he's 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 been in that zone for years, and he obviously he's run quite a few practices. But he he came in here and he went and bought loads of HMOs, and really nice ones with his wife, yeah. sort of high end ones. He's one of the few that gets it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did they? Yeah, their own. Was it a pension? Was it Matty Ellie Woods? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I saw that not that long ago, and I I don't know any of the others that had that. They're quite innovative, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was quite impressed when I read it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, commercial, isn't it? Yeah, it's all commercial. commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've blatantly done it because they've got all these pension clients who have to buy commercial property. That's what and started they, out. Started out income stream. Yeah, it's very commercial, long leases, um, which is maybe lower risk, but um, you, you won't get the returns that you, you, you get much better leverage with this little stuff. And yeah, I think, I think the income streams are, are higher and, and you can do things to force the value up, you know, buy it cheap, refurb it, all that sort of stuff. And you end up with much higher returns. Yeah. Just keep viewing, keep viewing, meet more agents. And um, you've got a mate who's a, he's a commercial property agent, is he? Well, no, sorry, he works, he just works. Oh, fit out. Yeah, fit out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm early doors on this. I've been, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, I've been listening to a few audio books. So, uh, um, I've listened to Brian Tracy's audio book on raising kids. Uh, I've listened to Zig Ziglar, Raising Positive Kids in a Negative World. Um, and I'm on a third, well, we, 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 Gemma and I were listening to them and I've got these little earphones, that these Bluetooth ones. 
when we're on holiday. Um, and there's another one which... Um, uh, yeah, it's not that one. Um, I've tried to go with the positive ones. <laughs> Raising Confident Kids by Dennis Waitley. So, yeah, so I'm sort of early doors on. Um, it's more, yeah, more about love and spending time with them and dinner times and um, making sure there are boundaries and making sure that they're encouraged and to the building blocks. That's the stage I'm at at the moment. Clearly, I'll be taking young Homer around stacks of buildings and um, <laughs> maybe giving him ideas, you know, as young as possible because I think kids' brains are like jelly and all just seems to be that the ones that start the earliest end up finding it the easiest and doing the best maybe as time goes on. So I just want to start from day one, really. Um, yeah, why have you got any ideas? You know, no. <laughs> I was thinking about getting a rucksack, you know, one of those, yeah, Pierce Morgan, yeah. You can get a little rucksack and put them on your back, can't you? Yeah, I might do that, yeah, yeah. It's a good idea, that, yeah. I've, I've, I've got a mate round here, he, he, I mean, he's, you know, he bought a lot of cheap houses for a lot of years, and he's probably doing less now, but... He'd go in and, you know, be talking about all their pictures on the walls, all their kids and the, whatever. He'd be working out. He'd, he'd buy a lot of those protected tendencies and he'd be working out if there were smokers and how old they were and when they were going to die and all this sort of stuff. And um, I, I know he's taken his son in a few. Yeah. He's bought some very cheap houses. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Viewings, building sites. That's got to be a good idea. Surrounding them with people who are doing this sort of stuff. Yeah. It just happens gradually, doesn't it? Um, I don't know if you saw, you know, Martin Lewis, um, Money CME Expert. I know it's not so much about making money, but he's got his guide going out to schools. And I saw it on TV the other day. Now, he's, if you want to save, you know, reduce costs in your business and your personal life, there's no one that knows more about, you know, the individual sort of things that, I mean, he's so anal about it all and so it, very, very, and there's, there's, he's done this little booklet on how kids can manage their money. Well, you can't imagine that years ago that would have been allowed in there. So I, I think it's, I think it's probably gradually changing, but I think a lot of it is maybe teachers are, that's what they've done and that's what they know. And so that's what they're going to tell the kids to do, isn't it? So you probably need to give them stuff away from school, I would have thought, from people who are doing what you want them to do.